morning, everyone. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. <clears throat> Just the sweet presence of the Lord this morning during worship. Lynn, the word from the Lord. You know, the faithfulness of God. It's really going to be, you know, what I'm testifying about. My testimony is the revelation of Jesus Christ, but God's faithfulness. And so I just felt the sweet presence of God this morning during worship. I just felt overwhelmed and teary-eyed as just thinking about the fulfillment of God's promises in my life and God's word over my, over my life. And just being here with you today is really a fulfillment of God's call on my life. This is my first Sunday morning. Yeah, hallelujah. My first Sunday morning, so just so blessed by it. I bring greetings to you from Edmonton, Alberta. I bring greetings to you from my wife and my children. I am a father of three and a husband, happily married. I bring greetings to you from Christ City Church. This is the local church that I've been, been a part of for the last 10 years. I've been planted in the house of God. And God's word says we will flourish when we're planted in the house of God. So I bring greetings to you, and we've been praying for you. I've been praying into this. I thank you, Pastor Duane and family. Thank you, church here, Bethel Family Church. We've been praying for you, and we will continue to pray for you. I feel God has called me to be a voice for God. I believe there's a call of God on my life to be a spokesman for the Lord. I feel a call of the intercessor, this call of intercession, to intercede and to stand in the gap. And it's been a call from God uh, as I journey with the Lord and just really trying to understand and how it's unfolding. God's called upon my life. So I've been journeying with the Lord. As the call came in, Pastor Duane had called me. You know, I just went into a time of prayer, seeking God, what God would want to say. Obviously, I'm here to share my story. But behind that, because we're going to hear a pretty interesting story, but behind all that is a God who's able. And I just felt like the word of the Lord came to me as I sought the Lord, and just a theme for this morning would be Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we might ask or even imagine. But it doesn't end there. There's a qualifier because it's according to the power that works within us. The power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And I've risen in the power of the gospel to know the intercession of Jesus yesterday, today, and forever as I've learned to navigate and walk with God knowing that Jesus paid the price, but it was a revelation. It was a coming into the power of the gospel so that the devil doesn't have the power. The word of God says that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers by his death on the cross. He disarmed the condemnation and disarmed the devil when he loves to kick us when we're down 
we can rise in the power of the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God upholds all things by the word of his power. We need God's word, the power of God's word, where we find our lives in the Bible. Like in real time, experientially, where the Bible comes alive. It's the living breath of God, and we are translated into the word. Not just, I know the word, but does the word know me? An intimate relationship with the word of God. Just live so close to God. Now I'm going to get into sharing my story, but I found this to be true. If God already knows what I'll go through, even before I go through it, because every day of my life has been laid out before a single day has passed, and I purpose in my heart to meet with God every single day, He knows where to meet me. And make an appointment with God and keep it. I would like to start, as I saw, thought about my story, I, I would start probably in 1995. I was 12 years old. It's interesting to note that Jesus was found in the temple, separated unto God at 12. But I began to experiment with drugs, got high for the first time at the age of 12. I got drunk for the first time at the age of 12. I also was sexually active at the age of 12. By the time I entered into my first year of junior high school, grade 7 at the age of 13, I started to sell marijuana. By the time I got into grade 9, I had been selling marijuana all through my junior high school year to classmates and students and people within the, the, my school and obviously outside of that as well. But... Closing uh, the end of my grade nine year, we're probably months out from graduation. I had my principal as well as a police officer come to a classroom that I was in that morning, called me out of my classroom, brought me down to the principal's office where the police officer strip searched me and I was found with possession of an illegal substance. I was charged, brought down to police headquarters and I was expelled from my grade nine year. That was the first run in with the law, the first of many to come. So I was expelled from my junior high school year. By the time summer came, summer of in between grade nine and grade 10, junior high into high school, that summer I was introduced to another scene. And it was an after hour scene, the rave club scene, you could call it different kind of drugs, heavier narcotics. And I got involved in that. At the age of 15 years old, I'm doing these after-hour parties up all night, Friday nights, and didn't sleep all weekend long. Saturday night, the party continued on. Sunday morning came, you know, had come out of the club. And, and at that time, I knew a group of guys, and I started to sell other drugs other than marijuana, like ecstasy and methamphetamines and these kind of drugs. And so I got heavily involved in that scene, began to use and abuse, and that carried on into my grade 10 year, my first year of high school. I would be going to the clubs all weekend long and then try to go to school when I did, you know, Monday morning and I remember selling drugs, ecstasy to schoolmates, Monday morning, giving ecstasy to students 
and them popping ecstasy and going to school. And that continued on into my grade 11 year, my first semester of grade 11. I actually knew a group of guys, another group of guys, an older generation. You know, I'm 15, 16 years old at that time, about 16 years old, my first semester of grade 11. And I knew some older guys from around the way, one guy in particular, and he knew about uh, the rave scene and me selling drugs, and he actually approached me, and uh, he said he would like to set up a meeting with him and his boss. Again, they were a group of guys, a gang, if you will, crack cocaine dealers. And so the boss, I met up with this boss. Again, I'm 16 years old. I'm having this meeting with this older guy, you know, crack cocaine dealer, a boss of a group of guys. And he looks at me and he tells me this. He says, do you think you're making money? He says, let me show you real money and come and work for me. So lo and behold, I left kind of the rave scene and thought it would be a bright idea to drop out of high school and move into an apartment and sell crack cocaine. And that's exactly what I did. I came home one day from, again, I'm in my first semester of grade 11. I came home, walked into my mom's house. My mom was home that particular day. Dad worked on the railway so he was out, out of town often, but mom was home. I walked into the house after school that particular day, walked into my bedroom. I packed a suitcase. I met my mom at the front door stair landing. She was actually looking. We had a set of stairs going up, a set of stairs going down. I'm on that door at the, at the landing at the front door, and there's my mom, and she says, son, what are you doing? I said, mom, I'm moving out. And that's how I left my mom and dad's house. At the age of 16 years old, first semester of grade 11, dropped out of high school, walked out of my mom and dad's house, and didn't look back. Moved into an apartment building selling drugs, crack cocaine for this group of individuals. Well, things got really, really scary really, really quick. They became very abusive towards me. There would be times where I would show up to reload, to pick up another bag of dope, and I would pull up into the driveway of this boss, my boss. And I'd pull up into the driveway, open up my window, and he would punch me square in the face as hard as he could. And I would black out sometimes. And I would wake up, and I would wake up to him telling me he's sorry he had to do it, but that he loved me and I was his family. He punched me right out on the driveway, sitting in the car, picking up drugs. Things got really, really scary. We were doing a 12-hour shift. Another young guy about my age would do 12-hour shift at night, and I would do the 12-hour shift during the day. But for fear of his own life, he bolted. And the boss said to me, my boss said to me then, he said, you're going to work this phone until I find a replacement for you. I was so beat down, I was so tired, so fearful for my life. Well, that particular morning, I carried on after 12 hours of working this phone. And I'm at my apartment, you know, it was kind of slow on the phone, so I was at my apartment waiting for the next phone call to come in, next drug deal. And I fell asleep. Now, he would call me periodically, obviously checking in, to make sure everything was going fine and that business was going and well, I had fallen asleep about 3 o'clock in the morning. 
And you can imagine how furiated he was. Nobody answering the phone. So furious, so angry that him and a group of his guys came to my apartment. I lived on a second floor of an apartment building. They climbed up to the second floor of my balcony. I was so tired, so worn down that I didn't even hear them smash through the sliding door. They came in and I woke up the stab wounds. As he stabbed me up my arm and the last stab wound was up near my neck here at the top of my shoulder. I was bleeding out. These guys wrap a towel around my arm. I remember it was one of those big white like hotel towels. They wrapped it around my arm, took it out of my bathroom, wrapped it around my arm and said get back into the car and go back to work. By the time I got from my apartment building into the car, that towel, white towel, was sopping with blood. I took off, got two blocks away. I pulled over, called a friend of mine, Dave. I said, you need to come and pick me up, man. I'm in trouble. He came and picked me up, and I went to, he took me to the emergency room, and he said, Joshua, I'm going to abandon this car. Give me the keys. I'm going to take off. It was the boss's car, his work car, and so he took the keys. He abandoned, left me there at the hospital at emergency I got signed in and so fearful for my own life that I bolted. Now, my family hadn't heard from me since I walked out of the house. The next time they heard anything about me was a phone call from that particular hospital calling my mother saying, your son just came in with multiple stab wounds, needs medical attention, and he's taken off. It's the next time my mom and dad even heard anything about me. So fearful for my life, and I bounced around the city of Edmonton trying to hide out. You can imagine these group of guys, really scary dudes. And so I thought I would run out of Edmonton. And so I did. I found a small town outside of Edmonton. I thought I would say this this morning because I, I, I do, I am a part of a, have a ministry uh, inner city Edmonton. Right on the streets of Edmonton, downtown inner city. We have two properties downtown there. We're doing inner city. But, you know, a lot of people say to me, and sometimes they come into the building and, you know, I'm ministering and they'll say, I, I really just got to get out of Edmonton. I just got to get out of Edmonton. Now, there's some truth to that. We got to be careful of our surroundings, right? Be separated unto God. Come out from among them. But I know what they're talking about. They're trying to run from the problem that's within. So I tell them where you go, it goes with you. You can't run from something that's internal. It's spiritual. You can't run from that. You need a divine intervention of God. So I ran into this small town, and there I hid, and I thought, you know, this is kind of where I'll hang out, and, but bad addiction and small towns don't go well together. I, you know, got into the trouble with the law again really quick, you know, and just began to build up that rap sheet, it got really bad and got sentenced to weekends and I did that for a little while and then was so under the influence that I just didn't even show up and I'm, now I'm unlawfully at large. And that went on for years until my early 20s at the age of 21 in 2005. I ended up back in Edmonton. Been many years now, you know, still fearful, still under the influence of drugs, but still fearful for my life. 
add drugs into the mix and it makes things really crazy. Very paranoid and so I isolated. At the age of 21 in 2005, I was homeless for the first time. First time I experienced homelessness, 21 years old. I came from a pretty decent family. I had a father and a mother. They're still together today. I had siblings and had everything I wanted under the Christmas tree, you could say. Name brand, shoes. And... But here I am homeless and even a popular guy when I was in high school and junior high. But here I was homeless at the age of 21, addicted and fearful. And so I landed on the streets of Edmonton and I was at a home or living at the homeless shelter, Herb Jameson, Hope Mission. And I would do like temporary work, the temp agencies, just to support my drug habit. On one particular day, I was on a construction site and whether it was a man or whether it was an angel, Nonetheless, it was sent by God. He was sent by God. European guy, don't remember his name, but, you know, got into sharing my story with him some way, somehow, and he tells me about a young guy at his local church about my age, and he lives in a two-bedroom basement suite, but he's looking for a roommate. It's kind of ironic, you know, just kind of the irony of it. Night and day, I end up moving in with this guy, Ryan Haas, my age, faithful Christian, you know, like loves the Lord, worship music, playing all the time, played the guitar and played worship and he'd hold Bible studies Friday night in our living room and Saturday night in our living room and all of a sudden this faithful drug addict shows up. And I'd be locked in my bedroom from Friday to Sunday, like, you know, isolating under the influence. You know, and he picked up, obviously, right away. There was something really wrong. <clears throat> but I actually brought uh, it's, uh, my first, first Bible, 2005. Um, Ryan Haas, while living in the basement suite, and in the front of this, it, uh, he wrote in it, and it was Friday, October 28, 2005. He shared the gospel with me and was praying with me in the living room that particular night, and he wrote in it, you know, presented to Joshua, you know, from Ryan Haas on the occasion of Joshua's first steps with the Lord. Dated October 28, 2005. Well, on the next page in it, there's another date. It would be a week later on November 6, 2005. I ended up, he invited me to a Sunday morning service at a church by the name of Christian Life Center out of Edmonton, Alberta. Showed up to that Sunday morning service and I heard the gospel. I heard of hope, the forgiveness of sins, and to be honest with you, at that time in my life, again, I'm 21 years old. It, it was, again, just that since 13, 12, 13 years old, you know, I just was, got so fast. It was so fast I got involved with the drugs and all that. But, you know, at 21 years old, I've just been living in total hell and darkness. It just got darker and darker and darker, obviously. But I heard this gospel message, and I was so broken. 
And, and when we say broken, I mean, that's, I know we hear that often, but what I mean by broken was I recognized I was a sinner. And, and the, the truth is, is that I was actually, I hated doing what I was doing, but I did it anyways. It's almost like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, why do I do the things that I don't want to do when I want to do what's right? Why do I do the things I hate doing? It's the power of sin. And I hated doing what I was doing. I was so broken to the point that if I was off the drug for a few days, I was so sensitive and so emotional that could somebody could just ask me, hey, how are things going? And I'd break down crying. I recognized that morning I was a sinner and I needed saving. So the altar call was made and I went to the altar and I called on the name of Jesus. And so in the book is written November 6, 2005, Reborn Again. It's written in the book. I was born again. Well, I wish I can say that from that point on that I lived for Jesus fell in love with Jesus. Now that's absolutely possible at that point. I, I just, it wasn't my, it wasn't the way it unfolded. Heart to God, which I did in that moment, I could have and began to live for the Lord and, and make the choices to go to church and the fellowship and to call on God and read my Bible, but I didn't. And I walked out of the church that day back into my act of addiction and it wasn't long I got kicked out of the basement suite you know Ryan couldn't do anything the landlord got involved wasn't paying the wasn't paying the rent so that went on again I left the house and back into the streets of Edmonton for a few more years and ended up getting tied in with a group of prostitutes working girls street girls five of them in particular and I actually moved into a condominium, me and another guy and five working girls. You can imagine how crazy that was. All night, 24 hours, just nonstop, and that was a dark period. And on one particular day, I happened to walk into the bathroom of one of the girls, Rhea, and there she was, intravenously using opiates, heroin. I walked into the bathroom, there she was shooting up and she asked me if I wanted to try. And I did. And from that point on, it was needle only. Everything. Really dark period in my life. And I went on and that eventually broke up and Homeless again, bouncing around, even to the point where I remember moving in with this woman and used and abused that whole situation and hid and isolated for so many years. My mom eventually welcomed me back in at some point along the way. I would have been in my late 20s at this time, 28, going on 29. My mom welcomed me back in and I remember being in the basement one particular night. My mom 
was a waitress for 30 odd years. She'd get up every morning from 5 or 5.15. She'd get up in the bathroom, get ready and go to work as a waitress 30 odd years. And you know, my mom put up with a lot. And I, um, one particular night under the influence of drugs and alcohol, I was lying there in the bed, just coming down at that point, about five o'clock in the morning. For some reason, God only knows, maybe that's the product of that, but today I'm a product of that, but I opened up the Bible under the influence, been up all night long under the influence of cocaine, and I opened up the Bible and it fell on Matthew chapter 7. I literally opened it up, and my eyes fell on Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said this, Many will say on judgment day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not work miracles? Did we not call ourselves Christians? But I will plainly say to you, depart from me, you who work lawlessness, I never knew you. I remember that word of God so cut my heart, I began to weep and to cry. And for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to run upstairs into the kitchen where my mom was at that time, five five o'clock in the morning, saying, Mom, Jesus just spoke to me. And I'm crying, and I'm God just spoke to me, Mom. And I don't blame my mom for this. My eyes were bugged out of my head. I got the Bible in my hand saying, God just spoke to me. It broke my mom's heart, actually. Son, please just go downstairs and go to sleep. But it so cut my heart. Because on judgment day, I will say to you, I never knew you. You who work lawlessness. Though it was a so-called confessing, even as a drug addict, I would claim, I would tell people, I'm born again, I'm a Christian, and I wasn't living like a Christian. Well, it wasn't long after that when I was lying in that bed in my mom's house again one early morning, coming down, no more drugs, no more money, desperate. Took off from my mom's house that morning and I went on a robbery spree. Something I thought I'd never do. First robbery went into the bank and two others followed after that. Two other robberies with weapons. Though I had a pocket full of cash after the three robberies, a pocket full of cash. I rented a hotel room downtown inner city Edmonton. Rented a hotel room, had a bag of dope, just finished shooting up. Put the dope into the dresser drawer on the side of the bed. Go into City Center Mall, and for some reason, pocket full of cash, hotel room, dope in the hotel room for weeks, if I wanted it. And I happened to put an item. Walked by, it was Hudson's Bay, I... Grabbed an item from off the shelf, a pair of name brand boxer briefs. Put them under my shirt and into my pants and headed for the exit. By the time I got to the exit door, I noticed two guys behind me and so I booked it. 
Now, I'm a really fast runner. I'm a tall guy, long legs. I did cross country in elementary school. You know, I'm just really, really fast, you know. But this particular day, I got around the corner into the parking lot, and my legs just gave out. I fell to the ground, and they tackled me and detained me, brought me into Hudson's Bay holding cell there, and then police officers came from Edmonton Police Service, picked me up, brought me to downtown headquarters again, threw me into a holding cell, and, you know, I fell asleep or passed out, just so worn down, 16 years in an act of addiction. You know, the longest clean time I had in 16 years was a 30-day rehabilitation center, actually in Bonneville, Métis Rehabilitation Center. Some of you guys might know it. I did 30 days there, celebrated with my marble necklace and got released back into the streets of Edmonton and got high that particular night. But I was in that holding cell and all of a sudden, again, I was you know, passed out on the bench. And I'll never forget it when that, that big steel door opened up, just the creak of the door. And when the officer began to read all my charges to me, Mr. Emberley, you are being charged with three counts of robbery, weapons, and on and on and on the charges went. And honestly, I remember instantly sobering up. It was like everything I've done just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realized the gravity of my situation in that moment. When I went to prison, I was in Remand Center, Edmonton Remand Center at the time. I got admitted. And for the first month and a half, I really shook it rough. You know, I had no choice to sober up. I mean, you did, you, I, I mean, I did and you didn't, you know, but I... I sobered up. I was going squirrely in a prison cell. It was just, but you know, a lot of paranoia and month and a half. It took about a month and a half before I really detoxified and started feeling a little bit better. But yeah, my skin was crawling. After a month and a half, I got this Bible. Interestingly enough, they have a Bible out there that's like, do you guys know like the Japanese uh, Dragon Ball characters, like the animation characters. There's actually a, a Bible out there with like that kind of animation. And it's like the Bible. Anyways, it was really special to me. I mean, I picked it up, but and I was just reading the stories of Jesus and, you know, things began to happen where all of a sudden like faith-filled books, one book in particular, Faith Cometh. Other books like that slid under my door, I'd jump off my bed and go to the door and nobody was there. On one particular night, I remember lying in the bed and you know, after 16 years of active addiction, finally sober, more than 30 days, it was a month and a half into it. I remember lying in my bed, late at 11 o'clock at night, lock up, lying in the bunk, and I was so overwhelmed by the chaos of everything I had done over 16 years. It's like everything was hitting me, the fraudulent activity, the hurt, the pain. I caused family, friends, and, you know, obviously other people. And just, you know, the severity of my situation. It was just the reality of everything. And the mess that I created just kind of hit me. And I couldn't sleep. 
Man, it was sleepless nights, just so overwhelmed. And one particular night, I was lying there, my eyes were closed, and I seen something like a wing in a vision. And I remember thinking, an angel's wing. That's all I remember, and I woke up the next morning. The same thing happened to me the second night. I went to bed, I was overwhelmed, couldn't sleep all the racing thoughts, and there it was as I closed my eyes, something like a wing of an angel. Well, I recently, or after that, I came to Psalms 91 that says he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings we will find refuge. Hallelujah. God started to cover me with his wings. Under his wings, I was finding refuge. He was coming to me. Come to save me. Come to rescue me. At that time in uh, Edmonton Remand Center, it was so overpopulated. People were being triple bunked. Guys were sleeping on blue mats in a cell on the floor. Overpopulated. So guys that were awaiting trial, months out, even years out, would be transferred and moved around Alberta into other remand centers to make space. So I had a trial date that was often the distance. And so I began to learn about the different remand centers from the inmates that say, you know, you definitely want to go to Red Deer Remand Center. If you're going anywhere, it's got the best food and least amount of lockup. You definitely don't want to go to Calgary Remand Center, 22 and a half hour lockup. So, you know, obviously I'm like, well, I wonder if I'm going to get picked. Sure enough, I'm on the list. And I'm hoping for Red Deer Man Center. Hoping for Red Deer. Ended up being Calgary. <laughs> 22 and a half hour lockup, but I guess that's where God wanted me. So I got transferred to Calgary Man Center. It was really odd because... I got to Calgary Remand Center, and I think there was a young guy in the cell when I first got there. He didn't last long. He wasn't there long. He got transferred. Or, and I was in the cell by myself. Now, Calgary Remand Center at that time was also overpopulated. I mean, people were being triple bunked as well. And I just remember day went by, day after day, and I'm like, this is weird. I'm by myself, you know, in a two you know, bedroom, cell, and I'm by myself, and there's so many guys that are being triple bunk. I just, all of a sudden, I had an in, uh, a roommate, he eventually came in. Of course, his name was Paul. A Paul came into the room. <laughs> Paul came in, and you know what? It was actually a really good time with Paul, you know, just chatting about the things of God, and, you know, he had some faith and, and you know, a story of his own, but we chatted, but again, he kind of came and was gone right away again. And there it was. I was just in the cell all alone again. I just remember thinking to myself, this is weird. But on April 9th, all alone in a prison cell, April 9th, 2013, while incarcerated in a prison cell in Calgary Remand Center, I was sitting at the table in my cell and I heard a voice say to me, look out your window. So I jumped up, looked out my window. Now the skies were so blue that day, there was no cloud in the sky. And I seen this bird in the distance as it was flying towards the Remand Center. 
as the bird got closer, I was just kind of in this holy moment, just looking at this bird. And as the bird got close, I noticed the bird was glowing. Now, these are my thoughts that I had this, that, that particular moment, and I journaled them. I still have them in my journal. I actually got a whole bunch of journals of just everything God was saying and everything what God was doing. But, but I'm there, and I see this bird get close, and, and it's glowing, and I think, is that a dove? And then I thought, do we even get doves in Canada? Do we even get doves in Canada? I wasn't sure. Nonetheless, this bird, and I watched it, and it took off, and I, that was that. Well, the next half hour release or gym time, I went into the gym, and I remember saying this to myself, I feel like I'm looking through a new set of eyes. That's what I said. I feel like I'm looking through a new set of eyes. And the truth was, I was. I was looking through the eyes of the Spirit, the eyes of faith, the eyes were open, spiritual eyes open, like something like scale fell from his eyes. Paul. Something like scales fell from his eyes. And, and I remember, and again, I don't know the Bible. I, I don't, I can't quote anything. You know, I, I'm just newly at this. You know, again, uh, called on God in 2005. Here I am eight years later in a prison cell. All the spiritual activity was happening. There all of a sudden I see this bird glowing and next thing you know I'm looking through a new set of eyes and I come into scripture and it's amazing when God, you know, experientially shows up. I mean, God wants this for all of us, like intimacy with God's word where like the word of God actually comes alive and you find your life in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, you find your life in the Bible where you're like, there I am. Circumstance, situation, you just find answers. You find the comfort of God. You know, God, you're in a difficult, dark season of your life. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he speaks a word and he loves you. And it's the best. Nothing better. First love. In love with God. Come on. And then I read in Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River and the Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove. I'm like, oh, that happened to me. That's cool. Amen. You know, at that time, uh, you know, the Word of God just was activated. It was like the Word became alive and active. And it translated me into the Word and I couldn't get enough of God. Like, I couldn't... I, it was, I kid you not, 12, I mean, I'm fasting. I don't know anything about fasting. For some reason, I'm like, I'm giving up meals today. Like, without even knowing fasting, I just, it was just, and I'd fast and give up meals and just spend time with God. And I kid you not, 12, 14 hours a day in the Word, just soaking it up. And I just, I didn't want to go to bed at night because I didn't want to leave the presence and everything God was saying and everything God was doing. And I'd roll out of bed in the morning, onto my knees, hands up, just like, hallelujah. God, I love you. I'm just so in love with God. Let us not lose that place. It's possible. I actually had, I was at a, 
at a church that I was attending, one of the first churches I went to once I got released from prison, but I actually had the worship leader come up to me. Get, get this, the worship leader came up to me and said, Joshua, I remember that fire, but don't worry, it goes out. Actually. And I'm crying out to God because I'm like, I'm just so in love with God. No, God, but the truth is, is the fire can go out or it flickers, you know. Other things start to take our hearts, that place that God once had in our hearts, the busyness of life and building our own. You know, we kind of lose that if you don't keep that with God. And So I was just so in love with God. I'm still so in love with God. God is my first love. I know what love is. You know, I, the irony of kind of the story is I've never been so free in my life until I went to prison. I never knew what freedom was until I learned what prison means. When Jesus said, I came to set at liberty those that are captive, I set the captives free, he wasn't talking about a literal cell, although he did that too. He, I got released from prison. Actually on July 4th, which I thought was really, really interesting because July 4th is Independence Day in America, and it was about this separation I got out of prison July 4th. I'm going, separation. I'm learning about July 4th and all that it means, but what it means in God. You know, God had separated me from a political system, from another nation. And that's what happened July 4th. So I was separated unto God out of the kingdom of darkness translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So I'm so in love with God and spending time with the Lord couldn't get enough doing okay? Kind of, yeah. Could have get enough. So in love with God. And I got transferred back to the Reman Center at Edmonton as my trial date approached. It got closer. I was uh, transferred back. At that time, the new Edmonton Reman Center had opened up right off Anthony Henday. I got transferred back there, and I actually met Jerry Kerr. She was the chaplain at the time. Beautiful, 60-odd-year-old woman of God, blonde hair. Looked like Dolly Parton. Just a beautiful, Holy Spirit-filled. And you're like, request, you know, I'm requesting for chaplains, you know. Just with my encounter and all. I want to see the chaplain. So she come, and she's seen right away. She's seen that. God had really touched my life. Now, she became so influential. She became a spiritual mother of mine. Once I got released from prison, we actually connected. She wasn't allowed to for reasons of, you know, inmate and confidentiality with inmates and stuff like that. But she knew, and she hinted so much so that I got to, you know, I kind of knew where to go once I got released, and I did. She married my now wife, Trisha, in the church, but she married us. You know, she was so pivotal. She so led by God to lead me and to guide me as a young Christian away from some really scary, you know, could have made some real bad decisions, but she's just a spiritual mother in my life. We need spiritual mothers and fathers to rise up. Come on. Yeah. To father and to mother the next generation. To be, I'm, just so, I'm just so sold out for just being, I love discipleship. I love when God puts people in my life, and there is right now, where you just get to pour into other people. There's something about pouring into others where you find life in it. It's like 
deny yourself and you'll find life, right? Lose your life and you'll find it. You just find it in the losing of yourself and your own, you know, spiritual fathers and mothers. She was so pivotal in my life and um, she's recently gone home to be with the Lord. But so she was super proud of me, so happy. And But so while I was incarcerated in Remand Center, she seen the touch of God on my life and she actually introduced me uh, to a man of God by the name of John Bevere, Messenger International, John and Lisa Bevere. Um, and man, did God use, you know, John Bevere so mightily, the anointed material, you know, and, and uh, I actually got to meet him and his family in person. They actually, uh, his wife came to our church, gave my daughter a beautiful gold bracelet she was wearing, but so yeah, that was a moment. And... Um, and so I read this book by John Bevere, and one night in lockup, it was a month and a half hour, a month and a half later after April 9, 2013, when I seen the Spirit of God descend upon me, April 9th, a month and a half later, I'm in, in Edmonton Remand Center again, and there I was in lockup reading a book, I finished the book by John Bevere called Drawing Near to God. At the end of the book was a prayer to believe and to yield my tongue to the Holy Spirit to begin to speak in tongues for the first time. 11 o'clock, locked up in a prison cell, on my knees, praying a prayer with John Bevere to yield and believe my tongue to the Holy Spirit. And so I did, and so I prayed, and I was given the gift of tongues and the speaking in this unknown language, and it just came out of me. It just came out of me and I began to speak in tongues for the first time and there I was and I finished praying in tongues and I was so overjoyed. I was laughing to myself in a prison cell, maybe drunk in the spirit, like on the day of Pentecost. Come on, we need a Joel chapter 2 outpouring. I believe God is going to pour out his spirit in these last days. I believe it, I prophesy it, I just felt the word of the Lord just over this group, over this, over this city, this town, I just prophesy. God said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, young men would have visions and old men would dream dreams and on my servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Hallelujah. There's Joel chapter 2 pockets going on all around the world. I'm praying and prophesying here in this place that revival would break out. Now, April 9th, what was really, really cool was April 9th, baptizing the Holy Spirit where the Spirit of God came upon me. I learned something really, really cool in studying church history and revival history. You know, there was the exact same date. There was a revival that broke out in 1906 called the Azusa Street Revival, led by William J. Seymour. And I read that in 1906, on April 9th, did the revival break out. And as I read that, I thought, Lord, you allowed me to be baptized in the Holy Ghost on April 9th, 2013. So revival, I believe, is in my blood. I'm a revivalist. I love the Lord. And so, yeah, I, I'm reading a book, Praying in Tongues now. And so we're going to wrap up the story here, but... I get released from prison. I get out again July 4th, the separation under God now, an Independence Day under God, separation under the Lord. 
Now I'm a part of a local church, Christ City Church. I've been planted there for the last 10 years. Well, 10 years planted in the house of God, just learning to navigate the call of God in my life. So longing to be used by God, but we need character to match anointing. Sometimes we're just too young. We need to learn a lot more. There's just growing up to do. Like Peter, you know, when you were younger, you did what you wanted. You dressed yourself. But when you get older, others will take you to places you don't want to go. There's just a maturing in my life. There's been deep seasons of just, God, where are you? Why hast thou forsaken me? Psalms 22. Just feel like God is distant. God has led me through and has allowed me to walk through some really hard times in the Lord. But God has been so faithful. Hallelujah. So I'm weeping this morning, but yeah, so I'm married now, three children. I'm raising in the Lord and, you know, God has blessed us. I got to go to Bible college for three years, graduated with a diploma in theology. But that has nothing to do with the title. It doesn't have anything to do with really my identity in Christ. Really, like we began this morning, it's all about Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. And so I'm so, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in Christ in us, the hope of glory. God in us, God in the flesh. I mean, the word became flesh. I think God still takes up bodily form through his body where God literally comes down and he takes up bodily form. When you get the word of God in you, I think you're only as strong as the word lives and abides in you. You're only as strong as the word lives and abides in you. But that the word, when we get the word and it comes in, I realize that the word becomes flesh. God wants to take a bodily form and through us into the earth. That's the gospel. So the power of God, according to the power that works within. And again, I'm just wrapping up here. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. It is the power of God. And I have learned what it means, the intercession of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. As, as a young Christian, you know, I fall into you know, sin. You know, if you're truly born again, you won't continue in sin. The Bible tells us that. It doesn't mean we won't sin again. But if you sin, there's an if in there, and that's good news. But it, we don't continue in habitual sin. But knowing the power of God, and I fell into sin, and I felt so condemned, I felt so ashamed, it felt like God took it all away, and God couldn't use me, and God just began to minister and love on me and I started to rise in the power of the gospel because the devil loves to kick us when we're down. But when we know the power of the gospel and everything he paid for yesterday, today, and forever, we can rise in the power of the gospel. And the intercession of Jesus upon my life, he forever lives to make intercession for me. And so now if I make a mistake, it's like you don't give the devil even a foothold. You don't give them an inch. You don't give them because you know the power of the gospel. I thank you, God, that your blood cleanses me. I thank you that, God, what you have begun, you will finish and you will bring to completion. God, I thank you, God, that you are for me and not against me. 
Hallelujah. If God be for us, then who be against us? And if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. But better than that is a free spirit. God wants to give us victory over areas of our life that we as young Christians, there's a period, there's a time to be young and to make stupid mistakes as Christians. There's a place for that. But we must grow up. We must grow up into maturity. And I know that God, he's interceding and there is just this travail to Christ be formed in us, fully formed in us. So I just want to just give an opportunity. If you know anyone here this morning... If God is putting his finger on anything that you've heard about, anything you've heard me say this morning, anything you've heard God say, let's say it that way. The Spirit of God is speaking to you, whatever that may be. Would you come up to the altar? I don't know, worship team return if you guys are coming up. But if anyone just feels like God's putting his finger on something in your life, and God's kind of take you on into glory, from glory to glory and strength to strength. You just want to call on God. You want to ask God, come and receive the mercy of God. Come receive his forgiveness, his love. If that's you, just come up to the altar. Come and present yourself to God. Call on God. I'd love to pray with you. I'm sure there's also a ministry team here, others here, leaders and pastors and believers in the house. Hallelujah. I'd love to pray with you too. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, now is the time. Today is the day. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the acceptable year of the Lord. The pardoning of sins. Debts wiped clean. Not guilty in Jesus' name. No longer guilty, but not guilty in God. The power of the devil, the power of sin and death, broken in your life. In Jesus' name. You hate doing what you do. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? It's the power of sin. And Jesus is here to set the liberty at liberty those who are held captive. He's come to wipe the slate clean, to give a fresh new beginning. If anybody here this morning would just like to come and present yourself at the altar, raise your hands to God. God more. God is able to do more. Just want to come up and just love on God. Would you join me this morning up at the altar? Father, I just feel that word alone, Father, Heavenly Father, you are faithful, you are faithful.
spirit and in truth. Thank you for the hand of God, the outstretched arm of God. So mighty to save are you, Lord. There's no place that God's strong arm cannot reach down into and rescue and redeem. Lord, I just see your arm outstretched in this place. I see the heavens parting and the heavens opening and God's arm coming down in this room. I see him grabbing hearts to take you by the hand and to lead you on. I've been entrusted with this message of reconciliation. I plead with you. Come back to God and be reconciled. Be reconciled. Be healed and be made whole. Now may the God of peace sanctify you. May the God of peace sanctify you. Spirit, soul, and body that we might be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh God bless you this morning. Again, the altar's open. There's a sweet presence of God. Now is the moment. Now is the time. Just join me. Anyone if you want to come up to the altar, there's a sweet presence of God to touch your life in Jesus' name.